listening to the Hometown Losers, the St. Louis Sports Podcast, with Josh, Adam, and OJ. Hey, everybody. Welcome back here to the Hometown Losers Podcast. This is session number 44. I'm joined always as the uh, by my co-host here at OJ and Adam. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Doing great here. Everything is all good. Actually warming up here for a change. So I am doing good. Doing good. How's it going for OJ? I'm also doing well. Uh, yeah, glad to get some warmer weather. Now, if only the sun would come out, then everything would be best, the best. So for sure. I'm ready. For I'm ready. Yeah, I'm <laughs> ready for spring. I was gonna say, and ready for some uh, spring training coming up too. So it'll be here next wow. month, believe it or not. Yes, sir. I'm ready to. I'm ready for March. So that's when my softball starts. Actually, you know what I'm really <laughs> ready for is ready to take down my Christmas lights. I've been waiting <laughs> because a the weather's the weather's bad. But, you know, with my torn shoulder, it's just like I don't really feel comfortable, like, getting up on a ladder and then having to do all that. So uh, and then, unfortunately, on this past Sunday, I fucked my shoulder up again. So, I, I mean, well, it's I only been officially I mean, a month since today. Christmas now. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, <laughs> I, then, I'm, yeah, so then, Adam, I'm sitting there going, man, I kind of want to keep it up just because the Chiefs are in, too. I'm superstitious oh, that way for no God. reason. So I don't know. I know. I felt. I I know the feeling because I I shaved and I was like, man. And I did that after the the last Chiefs game, and I was like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. So so if they lose the Baltimore, I'm gonna blame. (sighs) All right. I'm trying to grow it back quickly. They'll win if the league gets them to win. There you go. Don't worry about it. All right. (laughs) Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and uh, get into it here and talk a little bit about the St. Louis Blues. So a quick update for the listeners here. Uh, They are now 24-20-2 and uh, for a grand total of 50 points. Uh, They are 4-2-1 since the last session, um, which is pretty good. Um, They are now fifth in the Central, which is uh, one position better than they were last session that we had when they were uh, sixth in the Central. We are 15 points behind the Jets. Uh, for the central lead, uh, which is two better. Uh, we were 17 points behind, so we've gained two points there. We are one point out of the last wild card spot, um, which is better than last session, which we were two points out. We are ninth in the West now, moving up two spots from the 11th position since last session to the ninth. But we unfortunately lost two points um, in the race to uh, the Canucks because the Canucks have been on freaking fire and we're now 19 behind 19 points behind uh, them in the West. Um, and we are now 19th in the NHL compared to last session, which we were 23rd. So a movement of plus four, um, but we're again, still behind the Canucks on uh, minus two. They just been in an absolute tear. Yeah. Um, well, so just except blues. I saw somebody yeah, say yeah. that. Yeah, they have, what are they, like 7-2-1, two, and one, and two of their losses are to the Blues. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, ironic. Crazy. And, and that is crazy. And the fact is that we ended up, you know, obviously going at OT, but uh, Shin with that uh, that nice uh, uh, shot there at the end of the previous game, or, the, you know, when we were playing um, them, I think it was yesterday, right? Yeah, yesterday, last night, and anyway, ended up giving us two points for that. So let's go Shin. Shit, freaking sensational! Two goals, right. yeah, two goals, yeah. yeah. So there you go. Yeah, the rest made him. Yeah. yeah. One. 
So I guess the question is, we, we talked about this last session, but now we have a little bit of a bigger sample size here. You know, OJ, I'll start with you here. You know, how do you feel this team has been improving since Berube's firing? Um, do we believe uh, that Bannister is doing a good job at this point? So I'm growing more on him. Like these last couple games, it started to feel like they're actually maybe turning some kind of corner because it's been like a lot of the guys that we've been bagging on have been at playing good. Like Tory mm -hmm. Krug had a good last game, in my opinion. He had some really good plays, at least I should say, in the defensive end too. I mean, on a, one of the power plays, actually it was a power play Vancouver ultimately scored on, but he was the first unit out there and he got his stick out and deflected a really, uh, what would have been a really dangerous pass. And then was able to get us clear the zone and get a change right away. Like, right. Uh, you know, Letty had that good play in overtime to wheel behind the net and pass it up to Shen. Like, because, you know, Nick Letty was getting closed down and Shen wasn't getting open very well because I don't think he's just that fast or quick anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know Letty still was able to hold on to it and keep the defender off him long enough for the play to develop and we were able to score so I mean oh and Saad Saad's been on fire too now he was having a yes, rough yes. so it's I think when you see some of that it's like maybe see, some things are starting to click and maybe we'll start seeing some more continuous uh more consistent good play out of them but who knows yet right so yeah and I'm gonna Overall, I'll wait on Bannister till the end of the season. I don't think I'm going to make any jump to any conclusions unless something crazy happens uh, mm -hmm. before that. Feeling a little bit better, definitely myself, about, you know, our defenseman is showing a little you know, more promise for sure. Uh, but overall, I think that things are still looking pretty good under Bannister. You know, I'm not disappointed by any means. Uh, and that, but I think that also goes to show that I was never disappointed with Barube either. It, I don't think it right. was really the coaching per se that was really the problem. So we also noticed that we had a little bit of a slump there too, where we had that consistency problem. You know, we lost a, we lost, you know, we were losing a few, few games in a row um, under him as well. So it's not that we've completely turned things around and it's 2019 all over again. We're going to go on, you know, uh, uh, 10 game winning streak by any means, but Hey, I, I'm, I'm happy at least with the results that we've been seeing as of late. It has been a, an improvement. I hope that we can continue this improvement. I mean, we've won what three in a row, so to speak. I mean, yeah, obviously the one was the overtime, but it was still a win over the Canucks, which we've been facing them. And the fact is that we can, you know, put up uh, to a team that is, you know, completely dominating the Pacific division over there, you know, they're, mm -hmm. They're they're setting up top with 69 points. You know, that's it's tough for us for sure. But I, I have to say I'm uh, I'm not completely disappointed. At least it's making for more fun hockey. The fact that they're going out there, the guys are on the ice and they're giving it their all again. Whereas I feel like before they just completely gave up. So it's like these last two wins were really gritty too. Right? They were yes, yeah, very gritty. I, I, I will tell you that. And then Vancouver had a lot of – I think they kind of had a lot of help from the refs, but they fought hard to get back in it and yep. tied at the end, and the Blues didn't fold. They went out and won it in overtime. Yeah. to hold the puck and didn't turn it over much, you know. So Yeah, because like that's right. The yeah. And then – uh, 
and then Tormachinko as well. So I know we don't mention his name out here too much, but anyway, he ended up get restoring that two goal lead. Uh, you know, we went up three and one, which is 49, just 41 seconds later. And then he tipped, uh, uh, home, uh, um, another, you know, that other goal. So I was really impressed by his performance in that game. So, yeah. And then the connects were definitely in push mode for sure, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I'd say overall they they put it all out there on the ice and and uh, they didn't give up. So the one thing that I've noticed here uh, since Bannister has been in play is that we are definitely more structured through the neutral zone on the defensive side. We are making it much harder to enter in the zone in the way that teams were just kind of owning us at the beginning of the year, where they're just kind of walking in and then. It's just when you are when you make it harder for them to set up, you allow your defense to get set up and you can allow your rotation, especially for your forwards, to be better and stronger. And you can allow your center to be in a good position, too, when you're able to do that. Right. You neutralize Mm -hmm. the ability for the team to just pretty much walk in. Um, Essentially, you know, comparing it to football, what I felt like before we were doing is we were allowing them to get in the red zone and then bending, not breaking. Yeah. Um, but it's like now we're, you know, yes, they, they, they can still move the ball or move the puck, so to speak. But we're not just allowing them to just walk into the red zone. They got to earn it. And then after that, you know, we're, we're making it harder for them to still get in the end zone. So it's the same thing, really, um, with with this team. Uh, I think that they've done a, a good job of structuring. And I think Bannister's Bannister is still not Barube in my mind. Um, I think that nobody would make that distinction. Right. As As you said, OJ, at the end of the year will then evaluate a little bit better, right? But since he's come on, um, they're 11-6-1, and one, which, excuse me, is uh, good for 64% of the points uh, uh, that were available, which is pretty damn good. Um, the unfortunate problem, though, is that the West is, like, it's very, very um, um, segregated towards the top teams are just absolutely dominating, and then the bottom teams are really just getting trashed, right? The Blues are somewhere right in the middle right now. So it's hard for us to gain ground on some of these really good teams. It's been a slow, steady race, even with, you know, in this, the 11, 6, and 1 record, that's 22 points um, out of a possible 32. You know what I mean? That's pretty damn good, mm-hmm. but it's, or 36, I said 32, but 36, excuse me. Um, it's still pretty damn good. But, you know, that's 64%. Now, over time for the rest of the year, that can probably get something done for us and, you know, probably a wild card spot. But can we keep that up? Are we going to fall? That's what we talked about last session, right, was we're kind of all waiting for the team to fall. But over this, you know, like three-week, four-week sample period that we've had so far, it's not been bad. So, you know, who knows at this point. what? Well, and they have a lot of ground that they had to make up, too, potentially as well. But we also have a lot of hockey left to play, you know. Sure. We have we have until, you know, mid-April for the regular season. So we still got a lot of hockey mm-hmm. left to play for sure. So point out of the wild card. Yeah. So, like, so if they stay consistent, you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't be, you know, uh, in the playoffs. You know what I mean? They should be able to make at least sure. a secure a wild card spot. No doubt. I believe they have a game in hand too. So I mean, if they have like solidly winning record the rest of the way, if they right. were able to do that, that would almost certainly get them into the playoffs. I think. Yeah. And then looking yeah, also, think- oh, I was going to say, looking also at our upcoming uh, schedule, it looks a little. I mean, I know how that's been before, but overall, it looks mm-hmm. like it's, it's not, it's pretty 
easy for us or easier for sure. Um, you know, we're playing mid tier games or mid tier teams per se. Um, so, you know, it's, it should be in theory, you know, a little easier on us, a little easier schedule. So hopefully we can gain some ground there too. Yeah. Yeah. I believe, I do believe that the goal for, for the blues at this point should be pretty much what you have at the beginning of the season. Right. So, I mean, like when you, when you, when you get in the locker room and you talk about like, what are your goals, right? Well, you're definitely, your first goal is always to win the division, right? Obviously you want to win the well, of course. Cup, your first goal, your first goal always to win the division. Cause you know, then you're in the playoffs and you're set up with home ice advantage and stuff of like course. that. Right. Yeah. Your yeah. second goal then after that is to make the playoffs because, okay. So say you run into a really hot team like a Vancouver, um, like, like uh, Winnipeg, both those teams have been absolutely, you know, on fire lately. So, mm-hmm. okay, cool. You know, you could, it's, you can be in that, that kind of situation before. I mean, hell, there was not terribly too long ago that the Cardinals and the Brewers were both like a hundred win teams. Mm-hmm. And that's all in the same division. That's really hard to, you know, like it's just really hard to judge. So those are your, that's, you know, your number one, number two, and your number three, obviously is going to be winning the Stanley cup. And that is always your end goal. That's obviously what everybody wants to do. I think sure. the blues, you know, necessarily they need to feel very proud. If they get into the playoffs at this point, even as a wild card spot, they need to feel very proud because they picked themselves up by their bootstraps and got in. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. At this point, I, you, you're not going to win the division unless you go on a 2019 historic run. <laughs> you're not yeah. going to win the division. Yeah. Um, so, so, but I think that when Bannister comes, it came in, he pretty much started to reset. It goes, listen, okay. We'll be flat out honest with you guys. Cause you're adults. We're not going to win this division. We're not good enough right now to do that. And I say right now, because you always leave the option that that can happen where you can turn a corner and all of a sudden be a dominant team. Right. Um, let me look at Winnipeg and, and Vancouver. They came out of nowhere. Really going OJ? Did you say that part? <laughs> did, did he say that part? Yeah. I'm asking you, did he say that? Oh, part? no, 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 no. But it, no. So I'm saying, but if, if I was Drew Bannister, that's what I would be saying. Right. Um, so sorry if I didn't say that my bad, <laughs> but yeah, if I was Drew Bannister, that's what I'd be saying is like, you know, Right now, we're not good enough, so don't, don't you kind of get that out of your mind. We just need to fight for a playoff spot. So what that does to a team's mentality is, okay, you know what? We're not chasing 17 points. We're not chasing 19 points. We're chasing two points. Let's That's get gritty. And, and that, what that does is mentally, instead of feeling, damn, dude, we're, we're, like, we're not going to get up there. Okay, like I guess the season's already over, like what we saw last year. You feel like every game's a playoff game, and all of a sudden you're fighting for your life. And we've seen that before. It, it, people tend to forget too when the Kings first won their Stanley Cup, right? Back when we had the number two overall seed, and for a long period of time we were the number one NHL team before Vancouver won it at the end of the season. That was 2012, and we had a hell of a team. Really thought that we were going to win that cup, and then the number eight seed, you know, uh, Kings went on an absolute run and dominated the playoffs, right? Well, the reason for that was quite simple. They have been playing playoff hockey for two months prior, you know, because they were so down, so, so far down. And all of a sudden they got really good. Obviously it was kind of like, I'm not going to compare it because I think we had a better run in 2019 coming from last to almost first in the division. And then obviously winning the Stanley Cup, but they kind of had that run, right? Where they had a, like really every single game was a playoff game. And we've seen it with the Cardinals too, 2006, 2011, both of those seasons were like for months, we were playing playoff baseball. You know what I mean? And so I think that's where, you know, you can kind of get that mentality, especially like now it's time for the young kids to prove it. It just makes it easier. It's bite-sized chunks. 
you know, it's, it's like, um, you know, it's like, um, I'm going to go back to my video game background. It's like chunking. And if anybody doesn't know what chunking is, is when you're playing a level like Mario, for example, like you're playing Mario Super, or Super, uh, Super Mario Brothers, when you're going through an entire level, you, okay, I know this part, but I don't know this part. This part's really hard. So you practice that part. You get to that part and you keep doing it over and over and over until you develop a strategy around it and it's chunking it. You make it smaller bits. You don't need to look at the whole thing as this long ass level that's going to take you forever, but you can do, okay, section one, section two, section three. You know what I mean? Same thing with, you know, learning anything really. I mean, when we were in grade school, you have, you know, chapters over a unit makes it easier to digest. And so, you know, I think that Drew Bannister has had a good mentality coming into this and he's really challenging these guys that, you know, hey, we can make the playoffs. That's got to be our goal at this point is to make the playoffs and then let the chips fall where they lie. So, you know, if they make the playoffs, which I think they can at this point, as long as they can keep it up. Right. Then they have to they, they really need to, have to keep their chins you know, held high at that point. Right. And then I think if they make the playoffs, especially if they you know, if they're, they're gritty, they're a dangerous team. So that's just my opinion, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. I mean. That probably should be the mentality all the time, honestly. Yeah, but unfortunately, you know how it is. You know, there's when you take a look at it, like, for example, last year for the Cardinals, right? Um, we did not think, okay, just win the Central Division or just get into the playoffs. We were like, okay, this team is good. They're good enough to, we, we just had a great year. They're good enough to potentially make some damage into the play or in the playoffs and go win the World Series. Unfortunately, that's what happens sometimes. Our, after we won the Cup in 2019, that 2020 season, especially after how we started, because we did not have a Stanley Cup hangover at all until COVID happened, we were like our expectations were to run it back, go win it again. You know what I mean? So I think that was the expectation at that point. It was quite a bit different. But you're right, OJ, that sometimes that makes it a little bit looser because honestly, like you're not going to be 100% perfect. And sometimes that's what players do when they're trying to go and say, you know, they're trying to win the Stanley Cup every single game. You know, you're not going to be perfect, but that can make it so you feel like you have to be perfect. If that makes sense. Right. Well, it's like trying to carry, yeah. this, carry. Yeah, you're trying to, you know, carry, uh, carry the team on your back. And we obviously know how that goes. And it, yeah. a lot of those people wind up, uh, you know, running themselves in the ground. So. Yeah, and I, I definitely make stupid make decisions. <laughs> mm-hmm. take focus away from the big picture and bring it on to the small things that add up to a winning uh, winning hockey team. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I the only way to like consistently perform, but it's hard to get to that mental space. You know what I mean? It can be anyway. Yes, it is. So, yeah. It's the challenge is to try and instill that, you know? <laughs> I take it. Yeah. You are 100% right. Well, speaking of challenges here, let's go ahead and transition. We've already talked, or I kind of already talked a little bit about the Cardinals, not from this current year, but let's go ahead and talk about the Cardinals here. Obviously, with the Blues, we'll we'll see what ends up happening, but you know, it's kind of like at a holding pattern because we just don't know the team mm-hmm. is going to continue the run or they're going to fall or whatnot. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the Cardinals. Um, even though there's really not as much to talk about with the Cardinals, there are a few things. Uh, the big one to me that I definitely think that, you know, a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads about is the Matt Carpenter signing. Um, so yeah. if you have not heard, Matt Carpenter has signed a contract with the Cardinals for a one year deal. It is for a league uh, minimum or it's uh, for major league minimum at seven hundred and forty uh, one hundred or seven hundred and forty thousand dollars. Um, so seven hundred and forty thousand yeah, dollars. OK, so I did say that right. OK, seven hundred and forty. Okay, yeah, $740,000. Sorry, I don't know why that was in my head. Anyways, um, 
he does have, he is still technically on contract from for a, a 5.5 um uh well the rest of it's actually getting paid by atlanta since they released him so it's obviously not really costing us a whole hell of a lot but this is the question or not the question but the thing that we have so he played for the padres last year who he had a two-year deal he then got traded to Atlanta, Atlanta didn't even play him, and then obviously they released him. He batted last year at 176, 31 RBIs, 67 strikeouts, 41 walks, 18 runs, and only five homers, right? So, Adam, we're going to start with you. What's yeah. your thoughts on the signing from Matt Carpenter? I mean, like... Well, yeah. I mean, I have immense respect for Carp and all that he's accomplished, you know, when he was with the Cardinals. But I have to say, I'm definitely skeptical about this signing, you know, at 38 years old, you know, um, yeah, see, I he's, think he's 38. Yeah. Yeah. He's clearly in the twilight of his career. You know, his offense production has declined, like you said, steadily over the past few seasons. He's really struggled really to adjust. Uh, and so realistically, he just doesn't move the needle uh, much anymore, you know. Uh, especially the all-star caliber player that he once was for us back in like 2014 to 2016 or so. And defensively he's limited and, you know, he'll most likely just be a DH for us, which in my opinion, just clogs up a, a spot for maybe a younger yeah. prospect that, that needs at bats, you know? Yes. And that that's, it's, um, I'm glad you brought that up because that was my thing was like, I'll just say my opinion before we get to you, OJ, because mm -hmm. what you just said brings up a lot of it. I hate this signing. I think it's stupid. I understand you're going for the nostalgia, but he's not sure. out of pool holes. He's yeah. not coming back for a last run for a productive player that you have pools. And pools was the right situation at the right time right. because we right. didn't have that DH spot for a young bat. Now you're you have a plethora of young talent that you are trying to get in to get at bats. Yep. And you're going to try to bog that down with. Matt Carpenter? I mean, what what is this? I mean, like, I really do believe, now nah, I don't really believe, but I, I heard about this and it made me laugh because I'm like, well, you got something there that maybe Schnooks talked to Mazalox and said, hey, uh, why don't you bring him back so we can sell some more salsa? Uh, ironically I mean? enough, you that mentioned that. Ironically, you mentioned that and they already said that they're not bringing it back. I know. That's I funny know. you mentioned that, though. Yeah, I know. I'm just right. saying, ironically enough, though, they actually already said they're not bringing it back. They're not bringing it back. And I think, I, I think at least Snooks was smart. The they're like, you know what, Cardinals, while you're bringing Carpenter back, we're not bringing it back. We don't agree with yeah. this. But I also wanted to say that his lack of durability as well because of injuries are definitely a concern. You know, he's only average. I looked it up around 90 games or so over like the past three year over like the past three years total. And some of that uh, 100% has to do with the coach's decision as well. But as you sure. said, Adam, that it's been injuries as well. It, it, there has been. And so relying on him as an everyday player, it seems really risky for us. So, yeah. So basically, like I was saying, you know, the signing is more nostalgia than logic, in my opinion. You know, I, personally, the money could have been better spent to fill more pressing needs on the roster or at least invest it in the next generation of talent for real. And, you know, the other thing that they said that about him is that this was for a leadership move. Right. I'm like, uh, OK, well, listen, if you, that money could have been spent better than, you know, going out yeah. and getting a guy to be rah, rah, rah. You're paying a guy seven hundred and forty thousand dollars to be a cheerleader. Get the hell out of here. OK, so while his veteran presence is valuable, but his playing days are numbered. You know, the Cardinals really yeah. need to be looking towards the future rather than recruiting veterans past their prime. 
again, Pujols made sense. This does not. You know what I mean? But, that, in my I mean, that, but that's not moving the needle. That's what I'm saying. I agree. I, it's not moving yeah. the needle for the Cardinals in 2024. It's just not. I so agree. bringing in veterans from the past that are past their prime is not the is not the solution here. Not the solution. Yeah. OJ, what's, what's your thoughts on Matt Carpenter signing? Well, I think you guys would be right if you were right about why they signed him. But I read, uh, I believe I read this in a Katie Wu article in the F letter. So excuse me if I'm wrong, but I know she's got an article. There's a quote from John Moselak. They asked him about this and he says, well, you know, for the majority of my career, we've only had a 25 man roster. So he's basically saying that this is like an afterthought position anyway, that's never going to see much playing time. I mean, so they they signed him to be the last man off the bench, basically. Like, right. You know, the role Taylor Motter played last year. How much playing time did he get? More than we would have liked, but not very much. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, 100. percent That I really do think, and I I don't think they thought there would be some sort of nostalgia bump for Matt Carpenter. He wasn't a big part of any World Series champions. Um, the same way, and obviously Albert is going to be bigger than anybody else. Well, yeah. And he was chasing <laughs> records, sure, too. Yeah, like, he's a sure-fire a sure fire hall, a hall of Fame hall ballot of fame, on the yeah. first year, right? Matt Carpenter was a big part of 2013 of us getting to the World Series, but obviously he, Good. we didn't win it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Matt Carpenter had a hell of a career in his own right. He's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. I agree with you 100%. Like, he might end up being like a Redbird Hall of Famer, but he is not a Cooperstown yes. guy. No. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. No Hall of Famer yet, because I mean he was yeah. that good. Like he belongs in there with yeah, Holiday. 100%. Sure. But uh, sure. let's see, where was I? What was I saying? Um, Katie Wu. Yeah, yeah. So basically, like I said, if if they really thought it would be a nostalgia thing too, I think they'd probably be trying to pump it up more. So I think mm-hmm. I really do think it was like they wanted somebody to be the voice of the Cardinal way or whatever. Right. Cause he's linked to those people still very, you know, he was around during those times when you had those veterans around still carrying that. And like now that mm-hmm. Molina and Wayno are gone and everything like, so I could see it being like that. It actually is like, actually is a leadership slash mentor thing they want out of him. And they figure, because I mean, otherwise you're going to put like what Jose Fermin in that spot, because you're not mm-hmm. going to bring an actual prospect because they need to be playing. So like, that's what I'm saying. You're going to have like a backup shortstop that'll never see the field except for injury. Or if we just want to get him some playing time, you know what I mean? Like, right. I just think overall, it's not really a big deal of signing. And Jose Lack has said to him, it doesn't seem very big deal of a spot. So they they think that they can get value out of him probably more in the clubhouse than on the field. Cause you're hundred percent right. He makes no sense as somebody to want to have play for you at any point. <laughs> we'll just bring yeah, him back. Like it, they did with Yachty as a freaking like special freaking coach or consultant or whatever. Right. Kind of, <laughs> kind of like what you did with Skip Schumacher. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Skip, you brought Skip back in, you know, as as a bench coach, you could do the same thing with uh, with Carpenter. He, he, but he better damn well not become a hitting coach. I'll tell you that much right yeah. now. Jesus. I, I do suspect that this is like 
somewhat this is really just speculation, but I'm suspecting that he may have some value against certain types of pitchers or something as well. Like maybe he does pretty well still against low velo guys. Cause like the end of his tenure with uh, the Padres, he had like a, over the course of two months, I'm sure you've seen the John Denton thing saying he had like on base of 500 and like, yes. you know, ever for the last two months with the Padres. Well, that was only for 30 plate appearances. So, so, I mean, it's too small of a sample size to give much credence to that. But he did have really good numbers over those 30 plate appearances. And it makes me wonder if maybe San Diego figured out some kind of way to deploy him where he actually can provide some value on the field. Maybe the Cardinals know yeah. that secret too. And, like, out of the stats that I said earlier, you know, of the 176 uh, batting average, 67 strikeouts, 41, you know, all, all this stuff, right? You know, the home runs, five, that's nothing to me. 18 runs, that's nothing. But this is the number that kind of uh, stuck out to me. I was very surprised with 31 RBIs. Yes, that's not a lot. But as you just pointed out, OJ, he didn't get that many plate appearances. So 31 RBIs in, in, in I think it was like 188 bats or something like that. I could be wrong. Yeah. But it, it was it was something that's kind of impressive when you think of it that way. You know what I mean? Carpenter so, knows. Get you a fly ball to the warning track, you know. So yeah, you 100%. Less yeah. Than two out, or less than two outs, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh what we what what do we say uh damn what's the what's the saying that my softball team says when there's runner out there oh pa, fly balls are easy <laughs> just hit the ball it, you know it doesn't matter if it goes straight up yeah, fly balls are easy just go get it but in this day and age it seems like that does have some value like it seems like kind of a lost form given how much the cardinals failed to convert runners in scoring position last year so yeah just, uh, just put that a good point <laughs> you know, no, it's a good point. And you definitely you're definitely this is this is what I love about the energy that we have here is like Adam and I are typically like that. This is terrible, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, it's not great. But, you know, like there's still some positives here. So it's yeah. uh, always nice to have that. But but it, and you, you do bring up good points. that I didn't even really think about. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so the way I approach some of these, too, is like because, like I said, a lot of times my initial reaction is the exact same as your guys is. And then yeah. I okay, so why did they do this? Like, right, second, yeah. The benefit of the doubt for a second, what could be a logical reason? And then you can kind of maybe figure out something, you know, it's at least to like try it, you know. But a lot of this stuff is because I also read, like the athletic is paywalled. So like, unless you're going to pay, you know, however much a year. <laughs> so, and I don't, I don't trust the Post-Dispatch sports writer. I don't think those guys know anything about what they're talking about. Like, from just for some of the things I've read for them, I'm just like, oh man. <laughs> some of the stuff that I, that they they wrote last year about the Battle Hawks, I was like, all right, you're done. Oh god, so, like, come on, bitch. Yeah. But, so I, yeah. but anyway, yeah. that's that's fine. What's it? Let's talk about the other guy that got signed here, and that is uh, Tom Yedman. So Tom Yedman uh, did uh, avoid arbitration. He got a two-year deal, uh, what is being told out at $16.5 million deal. Obviously, uh, Edmund is, I think, more of a uh, it's a crucial part, I guess, because he can play infield. He can He's really a great guy for like the center of the field, right? So he's playing yep. center field, play second base, shortstop, and stuff like that. Uh, you know... OJ, I'll start with you on this one here. What's your thought process here on Edmund getting uh, getting signed here with this contract? Well, I really like to see it because, you know, I we, in the recent past, we've had some players talk about how 
brutal that process can be when you've got this team telling you how you suck after they've been telling you how much they believe in you and how great you are for the whole fucking year. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that they could come to an agreement with them. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to have Tommy Edmund around. I mean, he may become expendable somewhat soon. Don't get me wrong. Well, a lot of right. people are assuming Victor Scott's going to make it to the majors. We don't know that yet. He was in double A last year, right? I mean, he looks right. to have really good chance of being a really good major league player. A lot of scouting outlets are saying he'd be the, you know, he's already be. I actually, I think I saw one publication have him as like 80 grade speed, 70 grade defense in center field. Like, that's going to be, that would be fun to watch. So, I mean, he could maybe sure. make it as that. I don't know if he'd be able to hang as an everyday player, though, because we have no reason to believe that he can handle major league pitching yet. Mm-hmm. So, my point is, Tommy Edmond has immense value in that he's already won a gold glove, but I think he won that at second, if I'm not mistaken, right? Correct. Second base, yes. But he plays pretty good defense at shortstop, at least he has in the past. And then he also seems to be able to play pretty good defense in center field. I mean, like the games he played in there last season, I thought he looked Bader-esque, but unpolished. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, a guy that's clearly not – hasn't been there in center field for his entire career like Bader, but a guy that has the skill set potentially. You know, maybe not as fast. I, 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 he's pretty damn fast. I don't think he's Bader he fast. You know what I mean? He's, the balls I didn't think anyone but Bader could have gotten to. Like, <laughs> yeah. So he has – will be a stud defensive center fielder and he can hit for like near average you know that's a valuable for player sure. yeah so you know adam what's your, what's your thoughts here yeah, on the I, admin reason i'm really glad i mean because originally whenever you know uh contract deadline came and went on the 11th of january you know, they were only a part of about $450,000. So it's not like we were, the cards were all that far off from where he was wanting. He was wanting 6.95 million. We are for them like six and a half, the cards did. And I knew that that they were going to get a deal for sure. And I'm glad that Mo actually even left the door open for a, a long-term deal as well that would keep him through, you know, at least the 25 yeah. season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to he- see that. Obviously he's, like, you you know, repeating everything you guys have just said, you know, he's very capable of playing every outfield position, second base, third base, shortstop, all at a high level. And I'm really glad that we were able to bring him back. Uh, I think he's going to be very pivotal for our, def- our defense for sure. Um, I know that he was fit. You know, he had had some injuries back. I think it was his wrist. Uh, I think it was back his right wrist. wrist. Yeah, yeah, his wrist. Mm -hmm. And he had to have some arthroscopic surgery on that uh, because he had spent some time out, I think, in like midseason last year. Uh, But anyway, um, he just had some inflammation. I don't think it's going to really impact his swing or anything uh, because he'll get, you know, he's been had plenty of time now uh, with this offseason to be able to heal up, get in then to spring training, you know, report to Jupiter here. Like I said, it's going to be less than a month away. I think that I feel pretty confident that he's going to be ready for a very productive season coming forward, you know, going forward. And I'm really glad to see that, uh, uh, we've got him locked in for the next couple of years. And honestly, right in around the ballpark too, that we were looking to spend. So I think it's a great well, signing. It's actually interesting that you brought that the contract stuff up here because that's the only notation that I had was I do like the deal because I like Edmund a lot. I, I yes. um, 
you know, I, I prefer him over Norlin Gorman. There is a lot of debate that comes around to that, but I just like Tommy Emmett. I like the energy that he has. I like the, the versatility he has, but mm-hmm. it's very interesting that he was asking for 6.95 million, obviously, right. as you pointed out, right? That's what was being reported in a two year deal for 16.5. It's like, okay, then why didn't we get him for two years at $14 million compared to 16.5? You know, I know that for a longer, well, deal, there's some bonuses a little and bit things. more. Yeah. And there's some bonuses that are also baked into his contract as well, because with the with the contract deals, they ended up giving him seven mil a year. Uh, I think this mm-hmm. upcoming year, nine and a half mil in twenty five. And then he get like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar bonus uh, for finishing in the top five for MVP. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. I, again, I'm I, like that was the only negative thing that I could say about it. I like the deal. Again, I like Edmund. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that he's going to be around. But, but the only unfortunate thing to that is, you know, to OJ's point, he might become expendable because, again, sure. we don't know what that looks like. We know there was a lot of rumors around him, Nolan Gorman, some other players last year mm-hmm. uh, for you know being on the trade block. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens, uh, you know, down the line with Tommy Ta- Emmett. But I think that overall it's a very positive move for St. Louis. So for and sure. It's a very, uh, very good for the, you know, the fan base, but good for the team, period. Definitely. Um. Let's talk a little bit, uh, still keep on baseball here, but let's uh, transition off of St. Louis because uh, there's no Cardinals but, in it. But how about the Hall of Fame inductees? So I'll go through these real quick, and then we'll t- mm-hmm. uh, kind of talk about our, our uh, feelings on it. So <clears throat> there was four players that were inducted, or excuse me, four people that were inducted into uh, the Hall of Fame, three players and one manager. Uh, uh, the first one was Adrian Bel- uh, Beltre, uh, known as – he played third base, but obviously known for being uh, – played with the Rangers. He did play from other teams in his career, but he's definitely known as a Ranger. Uh, his career numbers here, 93.5 war, uh, 3,166 hits, 477 home runs. His average was 286, uh, 1707 on his RBIs, 121 stolen bases. He had an on-base percentage of 339. Uh, and his slugging was at four uh, or 480. Some of the accolades, he had five gold gloves, two platinum go- uh, gloves, four-time All-Star, four-time uh, Silver Slugger. The second person that got in was Todd, uh, Todd Helton, uh, known obviously as the Rockies' first baseman. He had a career war of 61.8, uh, 2,519 hits, 369 home runs. Uh, he had a career average of 300 or 316, excuse me. Um, RBIs were 14.06, on base of 14, uh, 414, and slugging of 539. Accolades he had was he was a three-time Gold Glover, five-time All-Star, four-time Silver Slugger, and he did win one batting title. The third person uh, player that got in was Joe Maurer, the catcher from the Twins. Uh, he had a career WAR of 55, 2,123 hits, 143 home runs, 306 on his average, 923 RBIs. He had an on-base percentage of 388 and 439 in slugging. Some of the accolades, he was a three-time gold uh, glover, six-time all-star, five-time silver slugger, three-time batting title winner, and he also did win one MVP. Uh, the, the other man, the, excuse me, the, the other player or the person that got in was manager Jim Leland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in his career, uh, 1,769 wins. He had 1,728 losses, so. Career winning percentage wasn't great at five uh, five oh six, but he did win two uh, AL pennants with Detroit, um, and one of those was uh, <clears throat> a loss to the Cardinals in two thousand six. <clears throat> uh, anyways, yeah. um, he, yeah. uh, he, I he, was he, there. I remember. Oh, so I know. Well. Yeah, you. Oh, yeah, yeah, you saw his ears. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
But he did win the World Series with the Marlins in 97, beating the Yankees. Um, I remember that vividly as, uh, you know, Yankees being my second team. He did win uh, the Manager of the Year award three times. Yeah. So in fact, after that last this- season, uh, that year, too, whenever we faced them and they lost, they actually got the Manager of the Year award for that season, I remember. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, let's go ahead and talk a little bit here. You know, about our thoughts on these. I mean, do they fit? Was there any surprises to you? Was there any snubs? You know, OJ, what's your thoughts here on the Hall of Famers? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly happy with uh, Adrian Beltre. For sure. Uh, it's Yeah, I mean, if you look at other people that are already in, it's kind of hard to have a problem with most of these guys, right? Right. <laughs> My main issue with a lot of this stuff is like I'm more of a traditionalist, and in that I don't necessarily think relievers belong in the hall of fame or that uh dhs do so you know i'm not really a big fan of some of that but other than that you know i don't really hard to say i've i've grown to distrust these baseball writers opinions on a lot of things i mean mariana rivera being the first guy to get in unanimously tells me that it's a popularity contest more than anything else you had to be a pretty good player and then you had to be popular uh, with the riders or you know preferably play on for the for the Yankees or something you know so uh <clears throat> I kind of question the validity of the selection process and I'm not so I don't really I don't really you know concern myself too much with who gets in and who doesn't mm-hmm. it's just not something I'm gonna get worked up over you know <laughs> well it totally makes sense I, I will come to the defense here Manny Rivera as one of the most dominant not just closers but pitchers of his time obviously when you look at innings pitch strikeouts, you know, everything that goes into it. He's a phenomenal closer. To your point, though, when it's especially when it comes to some of these middle relievers that got in or like people that just don't really stack up, I think it's very hard. I think it would be hard to get in as a closer as it should be. Mane Rivera, I think, was an exception to the rule because he was so dominant for so long. I mean, he was a damn Sandman, you know, like he literally put people <laughs> put, put people to sleep. Like he was phenomenal. Um, but to really- your point, OJ, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, never mind, go ahead. <laughs> No, yeah, but to your point, there are some relievers that got in, uh, you know, prior that you're just kind of like, oh, okay, like you come in and you, you know, like your numbers aren't even all that great, first and foremost, but because it's more or less to your point of popularity contest with these writers and stuff. And I think that they really have put in, and actually Adam and I talked about this not terribly too long ago, you know, they, they made a huge, so it's a popularity contest, but they make a real big effort to like, say, the people that were part of the steroid era. They're not going to get in like we're, we're not going to put it in. And I think that's wrong because of the fact that it was just part, it was part of baseball back then. It's, it, and they don't want to admit to it. Like nobody wants to admit that that was part of baseball back then. But let's be quite frank here. It's what saved the Cardinals in the 90s uh, with Mark. Say baseball. Especially the late 90s. Say baseball. Yeah, I say baseball, really. After the you after know, the yeah, after the strike in 94. After the strike. Yeah. Ken Griffey do steroids. Like what about all the people that were playing that didn't do steroids during that era? But, just but, well, oh, you know, like if you done steroids, maybe you'd be a Hall of Famer too. Who knows, right? Like, come on, man. The, the, I I'm think not, there's no, definitely okay, no, go ahead. somebody did steroids. And I mean this for all forms of cheating because if people want to bring up the greenies and all that stuff, then okay. Right, if right. we somebody was cheating to that level, where they're taking like performance enhancers, something that really affects the integrity of the competition itself, then yeah, they shouldn't get baseball's highest honor. I'm sorry, it's just a principle thing for me. And I understand. And that's why you said, and you brought it up earlier too, that you're a traditionalist. And I totally understand that, right? Because like, okay, I, I will say for me, one of my personal heroes growing up was Roger Clemens. 
And that is a snub. I'm sorry. That is a snub on Roger Clemens. Yeah. So when Roger Clemens got caught for steroids, we were in college. And I I remember when I read that and it came out that that happened, I cried. You know, I was 19, 20 or something like that. And I cried because it's a personal hero of mine that I literally emulated some of my pitching windups and stretches and stuff like that off of him. And it really affected me. And I didn't trust a lot of the players from that era and stuff like that. And I still have it. Like if, if they voted Roger Clemens in now, I'm just using this as a hypothetical. I, I would at one, one side of it be like, man, like I'm happy for him, but he really hurt me. I don't feel the same way about Mark McGuire, for example. If Mark McGuire got in, I wouldn't feel like he shouldn't be in because of steroids and blah, 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 blah. There were so many players taking a steroids at the time. And to your point, OJ, Ken Griffey Jr., he didn't do it, right? He, there was a lot Barry of players Bonds. that did not do it. Also, oh, yeah. I, we could have a debate yeah. all damn day about steroid usage or not. But the point yeah, is, is exactly. who the point, well, yeah. My my personal viewpoint is I think it's a snub on a few people that I believe should still be uh, honored for their contributions to the game. Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, uh, Roger Clemens, those guys should definitely be honored for their contributions. Big names. And it's part of baseball and it should be part of the history of baseball, not the fact that we wipe it out. You know what I mean? Now, to, let me let me ask you. I understand there's I'd understand that there is going to be the other side of saying don't give them the highest honor. I see that right. point, but I also at the same time believe that they deserve some sort of recognition in the hall. But anyway, that's just my opinion. No, yeah, and, I mean, and actually, Adam, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's more like uh, there's other ways you can achieve that. Is all I'm saying. I don't think it that you need to be like elected into the Hall of Fame. Like that's. So, that should disqualify for them. If we know for a fact, I want to add too, because I don't want to get into all the fucking, you know, oh, well, you could tell this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to yeah. know. If we know for a fact that they got popped with it or something like that, that's what I mean. Keep those people. Well, and that's the thing. McGuire never tested positive for steroid usage because it he, didn't begin he, until 2003. He admitted it, though. So he admitted it. You're right. But I'm just saying, so if, if he didn't admit it, though, would he be in the Hall of Fame then? Well, and here's the other the other caveat is that it wasn't banned when McGuire was using it. That's, exactly, that's the other that's point. The and thing Josh about and I it. were yeah. just talking about that as well. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't illegal. If it's not illegal, then I don't think it's fair. Then why are they it. disqualified? Because then I can make a rule later on saying, well, this substance that you're taking now, we find out in 10 years – Oh, well, that gives them a performance enhancement of some sort. So therefore, mm-hmm. you're banned from the hall, even though it wasn't illegal. If you're not violating the rules at the time, I don't see how you could be disqualified. Yeah. That's you're my opinion. Cheating. Yeah, you're not because yeah, you're not cheating because the rules change. Yeah. And, 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 and so and that was. And that's my and point. that was my God. God, yeah. God. Using it during the period when it wasn't banned. then sure. Let them okay. be it. Because yep. it's really more about an, an integrity thing and not cheating for me more than anything else. Right. Yeah. And so in OJ, like, I think we're you actually we're closer on that, that wavelength than I thought we originally were, because to, to your point, you know, it's like, OK, so they made a rule in baseball and I can't remember exactly when, but that players cannot chew chewing tobacco on the field. And the reason why they did that was because so many young kids at the time were watching baseball players and emulating them and wanting to do that. Obviously, like Sandlot made fun of that, right? 
Um, you know, right. But if they said, okay, Hey, that's an illegal substance because it gets you high. Um, you know, obviously nicotine can get you high, not as much as like doing, you know, a hard H or, you know, marijuana for that matter. Um, but if they made that point, then what are you going to do? Go and remove the people from the hall thing that are already in just playing devil's advocates that, but you know, here's the thing. And OJ, I want your opinion on this, right? So obviously uh, Mark McGuire, I think is a little bit different, right? And I think that there is a hard separation between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And like, cause someone asked me this actually not terribly too long ago. I believe that Mark McGuire should be able to get in Sammy Sosa, not And it's Sammy Sosa was a phenomenal batter, right? But not only did he get caught and tested positive for steroids later on in his career, but he also had the cork bat issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was a big, big, like what the fuck just happened. Right. So I think that was a little bit different. Right. But like, but and in, in to your point, right. Roger Clemens got caught when it was illegal. So I understand him not getting into the baseball hall of fame as a player, but OJ, would you allow him into the hall of fame as a or as a contributor to baseball, so not as a player, but as a contributor to baseball. Uh, I don't know if I'd want to his own exhibit. You know, if we no, could no, no. like, I'm, I could kind of get on board with what some people have said, where you have like the steroid users section of the hall, and it's like their mm-hmm. own little area. Like, I would be okay with that, you know, because it would be still they'd be segregated from the people. It wouldn't be the highest on. You know what I mean? No, and I'm with you, right? But to me, like, okay, for example, there's a lot of people that are in the Hall of Fame that are broadcasters, that they're they're owners, they're some sort yeah. of management, Managers. they're not players, right? Yeah. But they have have a massive influence on the game. Yeah. So to me, like, and not and not to sully like a, a, not to sully Jack Buck's name here, because obviously he's in the Hall of Fame as an announcer. I don't want to put him in the same boat as Roger Clemens, because I think that even though Roger Clemens was a you know childhood hero of mine. Jack Buck is much more superior when it comes to that. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, right? A hundred percent. But in that section, you know what I mean? When you have the, because he's in as a broadcaster, as a contributor for, or for the, uh, um, for a contributor for like uh, the promotion of baseball, essentially, right? It, yeah. I think that those players could fall into that because of the impact they had on the game. And yes, they got caught cheating. Yes, that all this stuff happened, but they made such a big impact. But to that point, there's got to be some sort of like real hard dividing line that you have to like write in like right in the sand and say, OK, well, it's not like because then what's to stop a young kid now that goes, you know what? I have no chance of making the Hall of Fame. Um, so I'm going to go do a bunch of steroids, have one good season and then hopefully get in as a contributor. You know what I mean? So like 100 percent understand that. But yeah, I think that's, but- you know, <clears throat> just play devil's advocate. Right. Because I think that it's adding to your point. They were such a big part of the game for such a long time. You it, have like, to honor them in some way. Yeah, well, look, Roger Clemens influenced not just me, but hundreds, a thousand years. Absolutely. I mean, they even honor umpires in the Hall of Fame, for God's sake. Yeah. You should honor David them as well. Freezes torn jerseys in the Hall of Fame. I just think because in my opinion, Hall of Fame is baseball history. It's not just, oh, this is the this is just the, uh, you know, like the Medal of, uh, you know, Medal of Honor from the president or something. This is the Hall of Fame. This is literally showing you baseball history. So I think it absolutely has to be there. And and, and OJ, I I agree kind of to your point, because I was thinking something along those lines. If you want to put them in there and put some caveat there that this was during the steroid, you know, you know, uh, era or whatever, 
and whatnot, just because that way it educates future generations and saying, hey, they're here. They contributed significantly, but they also were part of the scandal as well, you know, or at least this was going on. At least that way, you know, in the future that they were still a positive impact to the game at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd give them like sort of like a group display, eh, maybe a little more than that, but like. I would really try to like tone it down and not give them like their own individual displays well, and shit so that because it's like like you said, it's more about the history at that point. It is because it's the Hall of Fame and a museum and maybe they're not yeah. in the actual Hall of Fame. Yeah, they're not enshrined, but they're, but they're in the Hall of Fame. Museum, but they're in the yeah. museum because it's literally called the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. So put them in the museum part. Just don't put them in the Hall of Fame. Does that work? Yeah. Yeah, because, like, it's just so impossible to separate their performance, you know, what they actually did in the game from the fact that they use performance enhancers. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have no idea. 100 percent, yes. I think that would be a good trade-off is putting them in that hall or putting them in the museum part of the Hall of Fame. You don't necessarily have their plaque up there in the actual Hall of Fame, but they are uh, the history and their – their information about the player is is part of and enshrined in the museum as part of baseball yeah. history. Yeah, I mean, exactly. their stories deserve to be told, right? One hundred percent. You can't tell baseball history without going through all the good and the bad, because, I mean, that goes back with even uh, Pete Rose. It eventually goes back all the way back mm-hmm. to Shoeless Joe Jackson, you know. I was it, just about to bring that up. The Black Sox are in the Hall of Fame. Just saying. Absolutely. Like, there's a they lot of information about the Black Sox and what happened. Yeah. 100%. Shula Stowe and the Black Sox should be a part of that museum. The good, yeah. the bad, the ugly should all be a part of that museum. And no honestly, matter. I think that the solution that we just kind of came up with here also – it would give MLB to finally just admit that this was part of baseball because all the people still to this day refuse to admit that that was part of baseball. And it's like, dude, it's been 30 fucking years. We know better. Like mm-hmm. it was part of baseball. There's so much stuff that came out. Like I just watched um uh, bulk. I just watched the Balco thing or whatever on Netflix. Not terribly too long ago. It's pretty damn interesting. I'm not going to lie. But there was a lot of stuff that went into that. And like we know that that was part of the, the game. To your point, at, it's just to me, it. it, it what MLB is trying to do, it reminds me so much of America and not to put down America. I really don't want to get into this, but really more around Amer- American no. history textbooks. Yeah. Right. When you have literally most American history textbooks have like one or two paragraphs on like the trail of tears. It's like they want to cover up the mistakes that they made and just well, kind of, of like glance over them. But of course you have. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course. But then you have two fucking sections on how we were heroes in World War Two. Like, sure. OK, I understand that. And one of these is going to impact one or the other, but or more than the other. Obviously, one is a world changing event and one is obviously just it's changing everything for a certain uh, for a certain race. Right. So I completely understand that there's a, a hard separation between the two, but I just don't want MLB. It's like the Catholic Church. I just want to admit that, they're, that, that they made fucking mistakes, especially during like they, they put people to death. You know, for not, uh, I, I'm not going to get into this, but my whole point <laughs> to that, yeah, right, because I'm going to go off on a tangent. Yeah, you're going to go off on a tangent. I don't right. want to piss people off. Ma- so, well, but, main thing here like, is that there there yeah. are bad, bad things that have happened, but there are good things that have happened. And we can admit that there was a lot of good that those players contributed to the game at the time. Obviously, yeah. looking back in retrospect, uh, we don't agree that it's the right thing to do. 
per se, but it's still part of our history and it should be reported and they should be in the in the museum at the Hall of Fame. Simply put about all that stuff pretty thoroughly in grade school, but (laughs) I don't know. I'm probably just telling you from my right from my (laughs) experience. This is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until but I, I, see, I learned a lot more about the Trail of Tears. I, 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 but I see your point. There, your point is, is yeah. that American bias, one way or the other, per se, glorification of Christopher Columbus, for example, and certain, you know, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Not to get in all that crap, but anyway, yes, there is a lot of those type of things that happen for sure, and it is what it is. Sure, we're not ignorant to it anymore. So just be able to be open and honest about it, and then we learn from that. It was part of the history. So just, you know, you take the good out of it and also leave it as a warning to people that like, hey, this can be this is can be bad. You know what I mean? Because you're not like these players should like you can even name that wing to uh, OJ the what if wing. You know what I mean? Like the what if section or should have been your section, whatever you call it. You know what I mean? Because like, you know, whatever it it just it then teaches kids that, you know, crap, like they were that good, but didn't get in because of a bad choice that they made. Exactly. There you go. concept of purgatory in a way actually yeah it is yeah kind of yeah yeah <laughs> the choir shall yeah. burn in purgatory Stop. forever <laughs> yeah Let's tell all the writers we know what to do with the steroid airplane <laughs> right? yeah. purgatory we have a solution for you yeah <laughs> the hall of purgatory there you go <laughs> All righty, guys, let's uh, let's transition off of uh, MLB here and talk a little bit about NCAA football um, before we uh, go ahead and head to our uh, to our sign off here. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the new playoff uh, format that's going to be happening here in the next uh, next uh, or excuse me, that's going to be implemented in the upcoming season. So if anybody does not know what it, uh, it's going to be. So obviously there's a four team playoff structure now or one versus four, two versus three. The winner of those games obviously played for the national title. It's just what happened when Michigan won. Um, but there is now uh, going to be a 12 playoff structure. And so the way this works is the top six ranked conference champions will get auto bids in. So essentially to break it down, the power five conference champions are automatically into the playoffs and they're going to be essentially one of the other five conferences that are in. There's a little bit of an asterisk to this right now because we have no idea what the Pac-12 is going to be like since there's only two teams in it right now. For next year, they, there's only two teams they have until the end of the year to figure out everything – until the end of next season, as I should say. Uh, so I think until the end of 24 to figure out the Pac-12 situation. Um, but anyways, then after that, the highest six seeds are in. Uh, the top four uh, out of that will get uh, get buys. Then everybody plays uh, each other from there. It will be uh, you know 12 versus 5, 11 versus 6, so on and so forth. Um, and then I don't know exactly because they haven't really announced uh, like how they're going to do it. I think the one will then face the like the worst seed and then they kind of work their way down kind of what they do um, in like NFL playoffs, uh, so to speak. But, you know, OJ, I kind of want your opinion on this um, as a guy that watches a lot of college football. Do you think this is good for NCAA football? Do you think it's bad somewhere in between? What's your thought process? Uh, I love the expanded playoffs. Um. Maybe some people say I've seen people say like their only argument is that it waters down the product essentially. Like there's not four teams deserving to compete. Like no, 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 no. You don't know that. I mean, right. think about it. if that was the case, then why would you have that playoffs in the NFL? Like the point is, <clears throat> every postseason has to walk a line, 
between representing enough teams uh, so that you can fairly pick a winner. Because the only right. real fair way to determine the best team is to have teams play each other and figure out who's the best, you know? Mm-hmm. So the more you capture in there, then the more fair it is. But if you go too far that direction, then you start introducing randomness because the tournament becomes so large and you have to win so many games in order to advance to the finals. Like you know? like March Madness. You know what I mean? You have to win six games and it's soon going to be seven, you know, the way they keep expanding it. Yeah, so you start adding variants in there. But uh, <clears throat> I think like 12, given, how, given that there's like, what, 133 Power 5 teams? or uh, Not Power 5s. Uh, Yes, teams. Uh, 100 and yeah, I think you're I think you're on uh, actually uh, to go on to your point. I'll look it up real quick. So there's like 133 whatever uh, FBS teams. So, you know, you're really only taking a very small percentage of them still for this national championship playoffs. Yeah, 134. Yeah. Well, so to me at 12 teams, I think that feels like a good balance. Because it gives a lot of your mid-range schools a chance to actually jump up and get into the playoffs every once in a while, um, yeah. you know. But you still have the have-nots at the bottom. But I guess that's never going to go away. Uh, yeah. The main is though, I also think this will help facilitate uh, distributing talent across the league better in conjunction with the transfer portal, um, because now kids can transfer whenever they want. And I mean, the Supreme Court's even examining whether there can be limits on transfers. <laughs> so that that might, I believe yeah. there should be, but yeah. Well, for the good of the sport, but I mean, can you yeah. really stop their right also, you know, unless they had to be like actual employees that sign employment contracts and shit like that, then you can tell them that, you know. Right. But, line there. <clears throat> oh, anyway. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a move in the right direction. I think it's probably about good. I don't know. I, I'll see how it is to see whether we think. I, I doubt it should be expanded much further than this, but also this is kind of the realm where Mizzou sits, so that might just be biased talking. You know? Right, 100%. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Yeah. News and reach, so I'm a huge fan of it, just for that reason alone. <laughs> yeah. But I think you can also make an objective argument that it helps decide the winner more accurately than leaving it up to a bunch of people's subjective opinions over who the top four teams are and then having them play. Yeah. Agreed. And to your point, you know, there's always going to be the, well, they should have got in, they shouldn't have got in because instead of the top four, now it's going to be, you know, the next six up, right? The top six that are not champion uh, conference champions. And there's always going to be conversations about their rankings and stuff. But to your point, I think this opens the gate up a lot more to allow us to, uh, some wiggle room to figure out who should be in there. Uh, and honestly, gives us more playoff football too, you know, so, uh, you know, Adam, Adam, yeah. what, what's your thought process on this? Do you believe it's good for football or well, for college football? As a guy I'm, that doesn't watch too much college yeah, football, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've been watching some, but and, but yeah, for me, I'm looking at it, you know, both perspective. And to me, it can be a complex issue. And there are valid points, I think, on both sides. Uh, you know, on one hand, expanding that playoff field definitely gives more programs a chance at the actual national championship. And of course, we know based upon that, it maintains interest and viewership deepens into the season, which is all very positive for a lot of many, you know, a lot of schools for sure. Uh, But I think where the concern lies is 
between the excitement and the risk of devaluing the regular season and the conference uh, championships as well. You know, it's important that there is a sweet spot that we find that sweet spot that preserves that tradition, you know, and the significance of each game while we introduce more teams to the playoffs for sure. Um, And when we're so back to the point about revenue, you know, more playoff games will definitely make, you know, it will mean more potential financial gains, of course, like I was saying, for conferences and for schools, for sure. But I also think it's important to weigh that in against the increased, you know, like physical and mental strain on all the athletes, which are unpaid as well. So I think there's some human costs associated with that just to consider as well when you're looking at it, because obviously a lot of this is coming into that. Now, granted, the you know, a lot of these students are able to, you know, start generating money as well. That is something that at least that opens that door, you know, which is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I definitely think a lot of them are paid now, essentially through NIL, but yeah. I'm not sure what percentages of like i don't know if it's everyone on the these teams is getting paid or what so yeah there might be some yeah. guys getting screwed so that is a fair point that i didn't really consider because i was just looking at it from a you know sports fans perspective. right yeah, for sure yeah and that's something to consider because they're because the fact is that their schools and their conferences are going to make a lot of money but where are they going to because they're going to have to put their their bodies on the line per se for it and there's something to consider that's all and then yeah. Uh, a couple other points that I wanted to make was looking at the selection process. So obviously that larger playoff field introduces more, you know, subjectivity. It has, you know, potentially controversy. We've been seeing that controversy for a while. It definitely gives teams more of a shot for sure. But mm-hmm. it once again, it raises the fairness of the actual selection process. But on the flip side, at least for me, because I've talked about this a lot with you, Josh, is it helps reduce that impact of the selection committee's rankings and biases. And so it kind of gives them like a level of like, a, you know, of equity, per se, you know, because I was <laughs> so confused by like and there's a lot of we saw that controversy this season, you know, with Florida, for example. Yeah. Um, Florida State. Florida State. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. And there was a lot of controversy. So opening that up, I think, does at least help diminish that a bit. Um, A couple other points, too, is the impact of other bowls and and how that would work, you know, like with the expanded format. Would that potentially diminish the significance of some of the prestigious bowls, for example? Yeah. I think you it's know, they, I, and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did read a little bit about that. So yeah. some of those more prestigious, like the one that we were in, like the Peach yeah, Bowl, Cotton stuff Bowl. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. So like the Cotton Bowl, Peach Bowl, these ones that are prestigious, but they're, they're like the New Year's Eve six, they will be part of it. They'll be part of like first round, second round, stuff like that. And they're yeah. going to rotate them in. Well, I get, yeah, because my point was like a trade off between like tradition and then inclusivity as well. You know, there's a little right. bit of both. And then with, And then lastly, there's the debate of whether the new format actually aligns with the passion and the tradition of like regular season games or if it brings a sport more into like a definitive playoff system. You know what I mean? Some people would argue it kind of waters down what makes college football great. And then other people are going to say, well, it takes a step towards determining, you know, a clear champion, per se, kind of like what you guys Mm -hmm. were saying. So, Yeah. yeah. So really, to answer your question, the success of 
this new system for college football will really depend on how it's implemented and whether it actually genuinely enhances the overall experience for not only the fans, not only teams, but also the players. So I think mm-hmm. that there's valid arguments for both sides, but I think only time will tell its, its impact for sure. And so this is my opinion. I believe that it's good because of a lot of things we just talked about. It allows more mm-hmm. teams to be able to get in. It will allow more recruiting to be more evenly spread. So you don't feel like, like if I'm, if I'm just using it as a hypothetical, if I, I'm a, you know, high school football star, I really do not like Alabama. I really don't like Ohio state, Michigan, like, you know, off of like my own bias that I have personally, it makes me feel more comfortable to go to a Mizzou to go to an Oregon, to go to these other schools that like I would support because now I have a chance of winning a national championship with that mm-hmm. team. And I don't have to feel like, again, I have to be perfect, right? Again, goes to what we started this podcast or, uh, podcast with, with the Blues. And, you know, the message that I would have with Drew Bannister, make or win your division, win the, or get in the playoffs, right? So it allows you to get into the you know, playoffs and then you don't know what's going to happen from there, but you get some more exposure. I do believe that there can be some negatives off of this. And obviously we've kind of expressed some of those, but I want to kind of bring out something specific here, right? So I'm going to go through this real quick, uh, but you know we'll talk about it, right? So if the 12 team, uh, team format would have been implemented this past season, right? We know that Michigan would have been number one, Washington number two, Texas three, Alabama four, right? So those guys all would have had a buy. You would then had Florida State, which would have been number five, taken on Liberty, um, which would have been, you know, number 12, um, is the thing is what their final ranking was, um, or they would have been the 12th seed. And I think they were pre-ranked or they, they actually finished in the ranking like 22, 23, 21, uh, oh my gosh, 23. So I was right. Uh, okay. Anyways, they were 23rd. So they'd take on Florida state. Georgia then takes on Ole Miss number six versus number 11. Ohio state takes on Penn state seven versus 10 Oregon versus Missouri at, you know, eight and nine. Right. But here's the thing that this, where everything consistently changes, right? Ohio State, they don't play in the Big 12 champ or Big 10 championship and they get in. They get into the playoffs without having to play an extra game, right? But Michigan, for example, on this one, say Michigan lost in the Big 10 championship to Iowa. All of a sudden, you're not going to kick Ohio State out. You're definitely going to have to keep Michigan in. You're going to keep Ohio State in. Now Iowa gets uh, gets in as well as a conference champion. So it takes away an opportunity for another team to to get that or for just because now there's another bite of the apple it, to your point adam it makes that championship game really not mm-hmm. mean it nearly as much and then you have teams that go like okay i'm looking right here ohio state's uh ohio state last year obviously they lost one game and that was to michigan right they beat two ranked opponents one was notre dame and the other was penn state okay so like they lost to michigan and you know they would have been inactive but they already know that they're in playoffs at the end of the season there's nothing really to excuse me to play for obviously other than to beat michigan try to get into the big 10 championship and get that conference championship but then you instead of having two big 10 champion or big two big 10 teams in right there right and obviously you know penn state would have been in too and stuff but now iowa's in so maybe you have four teams and all of a sudden it gets really just convoluted and stacked right i take a look at the same thing on the opposite side for the acc you know, the Florida State beats uh, beats Louisville in the ACC championship. If if they beat Louisville in the ACC championship game, you're not going to kick Louisville out. Or excuse me, you're not going to kick Florida State out because they were undefeated up until that point. Now it's a, they're a one-loss team. But now you have to put Louisville in. 
and it really changes up the complexion of like where it's at. In Louisville, they beat Georgia Tech, they beat Murray State, they beat Indiana, they beat Boston College, they beat NC State. None of those guys are, are any good this past season. Their one win was against Notre Dame, which Notre Dame lost four games this season. At that time, they were ranked number 10. They lost to Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh. You know, and Pittsburgh was, I think, in, in the full-scale rankings, was ranked like 60-something, right? And they lost, right? It, it just doesn't make sense to me on, like, that is the way that they do, they do it, is that these automatic bids for the conference champions. I understand that you need to be able to put some sort of emphasis on winning your conference champion, but essentially it's going to, if you win the Power Five, you're automatically into the playoffs. And then, you know, the top seeded other five conference champion will be in, and then it's going to be the six, uh, you know, six highest. So I think we're really going to see a lot of these discrepancies that are going to end up happening where you can then, it's almost going to be like where the Big Ten is going to be praying, like if, if the same thing happens next year, they're going to be praying that Iowa beats Michigan, not the other way around. And the reason for it, then Iowa's in, then you still have uh, you still have Michigan, then you still have Ohio State in. You see my point? So I think that there's a really a lot of it's going to be very interesting to see what happens, especially around the end of the season on how this is going to be. I don't. What I also believe might be the case is the scheduling is going to be way weaker. Um, I think that uh, the there's going to be a separation now where you feel like so if you were like if you're a Missouri, Missouri obviously a lot of your scheduling is from the SEC. We know that, right? And even more into so now since the SEC is expanding. But your off-season schedule stuff, you're not even going to want to challenge yourself. You're not even going to want to take on like I'm just using this example like a Clemson, you know, in the ACC. You're not going to want to do or even Louisville, a team that you should beat, but is probably going to be pre-ranked ne next year. You're not even going to want to take on that opportunity because that one loss right there could really hurt you because like if you go undefeated and lose to Alabama and Georgia, okay, cool. You still believe you can get in as a two loss team. You know what I mean? Damn, yeah. Yeah. So could uh, it's going to be very, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, you can get in, in that situation. You probably would, I think. Yeah. Right. And as we know last year, they would have been in. You know what I mean? They, they would have been in last year, obviously, compared to, uh, to, where, uh, to where I was at. But it, it just makes it very like it's just going to be very crowded in that aspect when it comes to. Um, when it comes to like these conferences and stuff, it's going to be very interesting if we end up seeing it like if we take a look at what it would have been last year. Right. You have uh, one, two, three teams that would have been for the Big Ten. You have one, two, three, four teams for the SEC. I mean, you kind of see where I'm going with, right? I mean, you have two teams for the Pac-12, you have one team of the other Power Five, and then you have one team for the ACC. So it's just like there's still the power dynamic essentially allows the conferences, these Power Five conferences, or really now Power Four conferences, it really, it really, really helps the SEC and the Big Ten get more bites of the apple to win a national championship. Yep. In my yep. opinion. It does. It so. really does. But yeah. I don't know how it all work. I do think there will be some hurt feelings, though, because like in some of those situations that you described, I could see them leaving out the big name team. They left out Georgia this year, who only lost to Alabama in the conference championship game mm -hmm. after in the last two in a row. And, you know, but anyway, Alabama is a good team. I bet you they would try to find a way to leave out a garbage conference champion like Iowa, who literally never plays anybody. And that's the only reason that they're 10 and two shouldn't be right. ranked. like. They're not going to let those teams get in. 
because not if not if Iowa's offense is as bad as it was this past year, because that's just embarrassing. And like the only reason they even they had a positive record is because they're in the Big Ten West, which is garbage right now. So, but they they might let that stuff go. But yeah, there's gonna be quibbles. There's always gonna be quibbles over who gets in the right. Yeah. Left out. Yeah, the only the only time that there wouldn't be a quibble about it is if you, you made up again where it is going to be like March Madness, where it's 64 teams or 128 teams get in it, and you just let them, you know, fucking fight it out, right? That's the only time there's not going to be squabbles about rankings and stuff like that. And even then, it's going to be the squabbles around the matchups. Oh, this person, des- this team deserves match or to be 63rd and not 68th. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. There's going to be those squabbles around it. But to me, I think this is it's this is my feelings when I read about it and read the format for it. I felt that it was a skies for the NCAA to uh, to really reward the really reward the Big Ten and the SEC specifically. Um, But, you know, who knows? You know what I mean? Like, again, that's just what it felt like to me was it's going to allow those those conferences to have more bites of the apple. That's all. It can't help that they have all the best teams. I mean, now the and you're not you're not wrong and who Pac-12, right. so like yeah, we've yeah. got the those are the best two conferences. There's no disputing it. I mean, the Big oh, Twelve no, I know that. absorbed a bunch of G5 schools to try and make themselves have enough schools. So and we know the mm. ACC is a joke. It always has been. It's Clemson and no one mm. else. I mean, how Louisville was ranked at all this year, I have no clue. They didn't play a single challenging opponent. That I saw. Besides Notre Dame, that lost four games this year. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, a not good Notre Dame team. That was like their big win. You know? Yeah. You know, maybe they beat Clemson or something, but outside of that, it was all trash. Mm-hmm. Yes, now they're ranked like 15. You know? <laughs> like, and yeah. they lost yeah. to Kentucky. It, they lost to Kentucky, and they still finished the year ranked like 15. Can't tell me that's not bias. That's basketball bias right there. That's, oh, they have a big basketball following. Let's try and convert them to the football product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's where, again, a lot of this stuff is, it's just hard. Like, and I understand it's not going to be perfect. Um, you know, there, regardless of what you do, there's not going to be an easy solution to any of it. Right. Um, but you're, you're right. I mean, like to lose again to Kentucky, to lose to Pitt, like for, for speaking of Louisville specifically, it just, it, I mean, dude, it's just not that, I don't know. It's just, it's just difficult. It, it like there, it, there's a lot that comes into it. The ACC for a w- long time um, was very, very good at football. Um, but you know, lately it's been Florida State and Clemson. Those are the only two teams. And really Florida State has only come on recently. And, and Miami had a decent year this year, too. We'll see what happens with Miami. Right. But beyond that, there's nobody there. Like, you know, Virginia is nothing anymore. Virginia Tech's nothing anymore. You know what I mean? So, like, that's the reason why there's a lot of conversations about the ACC eventually collapsing and, you know, there's going to be a power three between the Big 12, Big 10, and the SEC. But who knows at this point? Yeah. Well, yeah, you never know. It might Somebody might put a stop to it, you know? Somebody might realize, like, hey, you know what? This might actually be bad for us in the long run. And not do because, like, yeah, I do think just – I do think it'll kill a lot of people's interest in it if they consolidate to just the – you know, top 30 or whatever best teams because that's just NFL minor leagues, you know? Yeah, and you're 100% right. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out next year. Obviously, we'll talk about that when we get to it. So, 
Um, until then, uh, we'll uh, obviously play it by ear. But let's go ahead, guys, and head to our sign-offs. Uh, Adam, would you like to tell the good listeners how they can reach out uh, to uh, reach out to us and interact with us on the show? Yeah, we'd love to hear from our listeners as always. So check us out on Facebook. Uh, type in the hometown losers. That's L O U S E R S, or go to facebook.com slash the hometown losers, L O U S E R S. Um, give us a like, share, please comment. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you're not on Facebook or if you're on Twitter or now known as X, check us out at x.com slash hometown losers. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So we are constantly posting content out there, uh, every week. So, um, please interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. OJ, what do you have for the game of the week? Uh, the most important game of the week is the uh, on Sunday at 1 p.m. St. Louis will be taking on the Los Angeles Kings here in St. Louis. Uh, the Kings currently are sitting in a wild card spot that the Blues would like to have, and the Kings have been on quite a skid recently. So. If the Blues have the Kraken on Friday, if they can handle business there, handle business against the Kings, they might find themselves sitting comfortably in a wild card spot by the end of the weekend. So that'd be pretty cool. That would be pretty awesome. Um, that would be obviously ideal. As you said, the Kings are on a skid, so hopefully we can go take that from them. And one last note, um, specific, specifically about Louisville, right? So you, you brought out that they lost to Kentucky. The next week they lost in the ACC championship to Florida State. Then they yep. lost to uh, USC in their bowl game, which uh, USC had lost five games this season. <laughs> Just yeah. saying. USC shouldn't have been ranked ever either, but they were ranked because they're USC and they had players with a bunch of stars next to their names on them. That's it. Well, for sure. Yeah. Well, they definitely were not ranked after their loss to uh, Utah. Yeah, they turned out to be pretty bad, actually. But they were ranked high at the beginning of the year. Oh, that was from Caleb Williams, who won the Heisman, not uh, not this past season, but this season before that. Anyways. Yeah. So anyways, uh, well, uh, again, appreciate you guys and appreciate your time. It's always fun to talk sports um, to you guys. And again, we would love to hear from you guys uh, from the listeners. And to our new listener in Latvia, we appreciate hey, it. Latvia. Um, yeah. um, and and to our very very uh, dedicated fan that was living or uh, that listens in Mexico, we appreciate you for for uh, a lot. I appreciate you a lot. Gracias, right? Uh, Gracias, amigo. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyways, uh, we will catch you next week here uh, on the Hometown Losers Podcast. Have a great night, everybody. Buenas noches. Hey guys, this is Adam. Just want to say thanks for listening to the Hometown Losers Podcast. We'll see you next week as we continue our discussion of St. Louis sports.